you're really focused on being profitable on your very first sale, your business is not going to grow. But if you understand that there's a lifetime value associated with every sale, then you might be able to afford a little bit more customers upfront, pay a little bit more to acquire them on day one, because you understand that over time, your returns will flow right in. And most growth marketers aren't given that power. You are listening to the Let's Talk Marketing Podcast hosted by me, Katya Allison. So what have you gotten yourself into? A great question. In short, it's going to be a good time with great conversation and a little bit of learning along the way. Through insightful interviews with top marketers, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders, I get to explore the latest trends, techniques, and strategies in the world of marketing. I am here to offer you engaging and informative discussions to help you stay up to date on the latest trends and take your marketing skills to the next level. Now, in this episode, we are covering growth marketing with Alex. Let me tell you a little bit about Alex. He is the mastermind behind Betterly, a network bridging top marketers with brands. Hailing from France, he jet set to LA at 17, now an Angelino rooted for a decade, a USC business grad. He triumphed at the e-commerce challenge and sold Delivery Dash. As a director of paid social at Mute 6, he nurtured small brands to flourish. And today, he's the scrappy marketer connecting e-commerce powerhouses with stellar marketers. So let's get to it. Let's talk growth marketing with Alex. Alex, welcome to the Let's Talk Marketing Podcast. I'm excited to have you on here. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, I'm really excited because we're going to be diving into growth marketing, which I think has, especially in the marketing world, become a term that is being used a lot. But before we dive into the nitty gritty, defining it and really squeezing out as much as we can in the short time that we have, I'd love for our audience to get to know you a little bit better. So I got some questions for you, right? First is, I'd love to know what your first marketing role was or what you would consider marketing and also what you're doing now. So what was your first marketing role? My first marketing role, fresh out of college, I was a digital marketing coordinator at an agency called Mute6, where I quickly grew up the ranks in the four and a half years that I spent there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I ended up becoming a director and built out a big part of the paid social department. So that was my first role out of college. And I'm currently the founder of Betterly.io. It's a talent agency that helps e-commerce companies hire amazing marketers. We're basically a talent broker. That's where amazing, fast-growing e-commerce companies come to for any of their marketing talent need, whether it's on a full-time basis or freelance. Regarding what you currently do, what do you love about what you do? But also, what would you pluck out if you could pluck out? Let's start with a positive. So what do you love about what you currently do? Probably the biggest one for me is the fact that the nature of the work that I do is reward meaning that I help amazing marketers find homes at brands that are growing quickly. So I've been on both sides of the equation. I've been a young marketer, hungry, and really excited about getting a role. So I've been in the shoes of the people that are looking for work, the talented people that are in the market for a new home. And it's difficult to find a company that you're really passionate about, that you're going to be excited about working on all day, every day. And so I know the feeling of accomplishment when you finally get that role that you've been looking forward to. And then I also know the feeling of being a founder or being a CMO 
to finally get that one hire you've been looking for that you know is going to make a big impact in your organization. So again, it's really rewarding by nature to be the person that's being able to bring both parties together and make a great match happen. Yeah, because you have that experience, the empathy that you have for both sides is really strong. Exactly. And then when it comes to something that I could pluck out, I would say for me, especially initially with the volume of meetings, I love meeting new people. Don't get me wrong. I love talking to <laughs> founders all day long. But I think people really underestimate the amount of energy it takes to be on seven or eight calls every day. You can quickly burn out. And I've gotten myself more recently into a position where I can delegate a lot more of the heavy lifting in terms of calls. I think if you're a founder and you want to scale, there's going to be things that you have to delegate. And so I've learned how to delegate recently. And it's actually really helped me shift my bandwidth towards the more fun activities. What I define fun is literally what we're doing right now, which is for me, marketing. I love that. And it's true. There's this level that you hit in your career where you're like, wait a second, how is it that 75% of my time is in meetings talking about the things that I have to get done and then not being able to get it done? And you can easily, especially in marketing, I feel like that sometimes depletes the level of creativity you're allowed to give yourself. And that is the fun part of marketing is it's a creative art. And I'm not just going to say that because I'm a marketer, but I do think it's a creative art. It's absolutely creative. But I will say in the digital marketing space, you really have to be up to speed on social media, whether you believe in it or not. And I would like to know of the social networks that are out there, Where do you go to get inspired, entertained, or educated on really anything? Or do you even go to social networks for that? I do all day long. Social networks. I've got a couple of places where I go, do all three of them. I think you said inspired. So for inspiration, there's a couple of different ones. It's not technically a social media, but how I built this, the podcast by Guy Raz, is one of the most inspiring podcasts you can ever think of just because he's interviewing some of the most successful entrepreneurs that ever lived. Founder of Whole Foods, the guy who started Cliff Bars, the guy who started Yelp. It's just all those really inspiring people. So for me, that's why I find inspiration from a social media standpoint. There's a couple of accounts that I personally like to really get inspired by. One of them is fun. It's called The Agency on Instagram. It's a real estate account. Really? Where I always get inspired, maybe want to buy this beautiful condo in New York or whatever it is. That's where I get inspiration purely for my own wild dreams. For education, I like to look at Alex Hormozzi's stuff on Instagram. He's also a really accomplished entrepreneur that has an amazing book called The $100 Million Offer. It's an absolute legend when it comes to marketing funnels of all kinds. Mm -hmm. And so I really like to consume his content on Instagram. Neil Patel also has a really good Instagram. And I think he's doing TikToks now. I've been Seeing him on my For You page, <laughs> TikTok is definitely my go-to when it comes to education. Uh, just typing things on the search bar, you'd be amazed how many good resources there are. Yeah. Well, with the exception of entertainment, what social network do you go for entertainment or do you go to social media for entertainment? I'm guilty as charged, TikTok. <laughs> same, same, same. Yeah. Sometimes it's even over my streaming apps too. I'm like, I just need quick bites and I need to be able to walk away I don't have either the attention span or the mental bandwidth to get into even like a 30-minute show. Yes, exactly. So TikTok's great. I actually have a one-hour daily timer, which might sound like a lot, but if it's not noon yet and I get the timer on my phone that says I've almost exhausted my hour, I know it hasn't been a very productive day. 
but I try not to hit my full hour until it's later in the day. But yeah, TikTok's really fun. It's funny because I actually have two different feeds that are very distinctly different. One of them is from a personal page where it's a lot about music, dirt bike riding and soccer. And then on the other For You page, which is my marketing page, it's all super serious marketing content, how do the UGC that converts. So I actually get two very different feeds. And I think that's what makes platform like TikTok so powerful is it really know what you're into based on your interaction. Yeah, it's the algorithm. I do think that they have like a magical algorithm. I feel like I could do a whole podcast just on the TikTok algorithm. I mean, some people love it, but there's a lot of people that don't love it. But that's for another day. So my next question is more outside of social networks. I'd like to know how you are staying up to date on trends that are happening in marketing in the digital space that are not on the social networks. Is there a newsletter? Is there a group? Where are you keeping up to date? Yes, there's a bunch of them. I think my first one is going to be LinkedIn. That's my personal favorite. And really, the answer should be Twitter if you're in DTC marketing, because that's where everything happens. But for some reason, I've always been more of a native in using LinkedIn than I am on Twitter. But I think both are really good resources because the people in the space that are really up to date are the ones sharing on both platforms. So I would say LinkedIn and Twitter are probably the good resources. Slack communities, super underrated. No one's talking about Slack communities. I'm in a handful of them, including my own. I think those are some of the best places you can stay up to date with. And then, of course, events and networking. We're just at a Triple Well event two months ago in Austin. It was one of the most amazing in-person networking events we've done since pandemic. So I would say all of the above. It really depends on what you enjoy spending time on. Yeah. For me, scrolling through LinkedIn or diving to a couple of different channels on Slack, I find it entertaining. I like it. Going to events, I like to meet people. So those are the ways that I'm staying up to date more than blog articles or older YouTube videos because things change so quickly in our world. I would say definitely a place where there's some kind of live interaction and really up-to-date feedback is going to be a place where you can stay up-to-date. You know what I think is so interesting is that you stay up-to-date using LinkedIn and Twitter, but did not answer those in the previous question for the education piece. It sounds to me, based on your answer, that they kind of hold a different place that doesn't fall under this social network's umbrella. Yeah. I think the reason why I omitted them from my answer prior is because I don't see them as much as social. They're more like a learning place. So for some reason, I search social media with just cool, entertaining content, less learning, I guess. Yeah. So if there is another way for social media that was specific to work, that would be my word. It would be a sort of social network. Although LinkedIn's done an amazing job of turning a professional network into a social media with all of the reaction emoji and the ability Absolutely. to share. They've just done such a good job of turning LinkedIn into an actual social place. And I think Twitter is on the way there today. I would definitely agree. I'm still surprised that Twitter is still like a network that people are going to on a frequent basis. There were other guests that I had interviewed and Twitter was the top one on staying up to date on news stuff. Do you have some Slack communities that you can recommend for people to stay up to date so that they can also sign up for it? Absolutely. There's a couple of them. There's one I really like. If you're on the agency space, I would really recommend GitHub, which is a really cool community that has a whole bunch of basically agency people. That's how we categorize it. So if you're a founder on the agency side or even a founder on the DDC side, I would say join GitHub. It's definitely worth the investment. 
lot of really bright people and they really do big effort in terms of bringing on guest speakers on a daily basis, which is really impressive for Slack community. If you're a founder of an actual e-commerce brand, Workspace 6 is pretty good. Oh, interesting. Okay. Fairly recent Slack community that came about. This guy, Sam, has been doing a really good job of filling it with seven, eight, nine-figure founders on the e-commerce yeah. thing. So there's a co-founder of Chubbies and all kinds of really cool people that you don't necessarily get to interact on the daily. And they broke it down by channels that are relevant to the different areas of running a business. So GitHub for agency founders, Workspace 6 for e-com founders. If you're a freelancer, definitely join the Betterly community. It's called Betterly Insiders. <laughs> That's a good plug. That's a good plug. <laughs> One of our competitors, I think, is doing a really good job of running a freelance community. It's called Efficient Growth. I would say they're definitely solid in terms of engagement. And I'm seeing a lot of really good value from thousands of other freelancers in there that are basically looking for resources that you don't just find on Google. So depending on what I'm looking for, because I sort of like fall into all of those different buckets, I like to juggle between all four of them. And some of them are free, some of them are paid. The ones that I pay a monthly fee for, I see the value in it. Yeah. Well, because there's money behind it. So they really have to make sure that they're pouring into developing their community. But I'm so glad that you were able to provide us with some to search after you finish listening to the podcast. So now it's time to talk strategy. And more specifically, we're talking growth marketing strategy. But I want us to level the playing field because I think the term growth marketing, and one of my besties is a growth marketer. She'll love this if she even listens to my podcast. She and I have had so many discussions about growth marketing. So do me a favor, define growth marketing for me. And if you can also share how it's evolved in the last few years. That's a loaded question. Very interesting to digest together. But growth marketing, I think, is definitely a buzzword in many conversations. But at the end of the day, growth marketing, the way I define it is any strategies that can help drive more qualified traffic to your website at the lowest cost possible. Think about what makes a good growth marketer. Think about the guys at Trough or True Classics or even Triple Whale. These are people that have grown massive businesses really quickly at an efficient cost. And they would have done it is by really just driving a bunch of traffic to the website without breaking the bank. Yeah. You can't just rely on Facebook ads. So if you're a good growth marketer, you just got to stay on your feet and you got to be able to identify all the new channels literally in real time that are evolving on the daily, namely Facebook's been the big one in the last few years. And you've got to chart. How do you drive traffic to your website that's qualified, that doesn't break the bank, and that drives revenue for your product or your service? That's growth marketing. Obviously, there's going to be a subsequence of what makes a good growth marketer, but that's what I would define as growth marketing. I like that definition. Also, you had a question in there that now I want to ask you. How do you drive traffic to your website so that it is low cost, but it's good qualified traffic? I'd love to hear some tips on that. Where should I even get started? So let's assume that you're an e-commerce brand and you're selling products online on Shopify. In what I call the golden days of e-commerce, which was 2018 to 2021, that's really when things were cheap and obviously pandemic had a big effect on the industry as well. Facebook ads was the go-to. As a matter of fact, that's where I started my career as a Facebook marketer because mm -hmm. that's where I found the opportunity. Facebook ads were fairly cheap. It was fairly easy to get someone to click on a very simple static banner ad, get to your website and get them to convert. 
Yeah. So Facebook and Instagram were really, really the gold channel back then, but I think it's evolved a lot. Facebook ads have gotten more expensive. We're immune to ads. At this point, you see an ad, you're very quick to just scroll away. As a matter of fact, it's really hard to get people's attention in the feed. The average person scrolls through the length of the Eiffel Tower on a given day. That's how much we scroll every day on our phone. Did you say the length of the Eiffel Tower? Did I hear you correctly? Exactly. Oh, that's a good fun fact. Everyone listening, jot this one down. That's what you're going to take to your next cocktail party. But it is so true, right? Yeah, that's a lot of scrolling for your thumb. And so if you're an advertiser, you want to capture someone's attention on the feed. It's gotten a lot harder than it used to be of just throwing together the static image. And so to answer your question, a good place to get started is to figure out where your audience is. So I talked to a lot of founders that aren't necessarily in the product business. They've got a service and they're asking me, should I run some ads on Facebook? I'm hearing Facebook is all the rage. No, you should write content on LinkedIn because you're a B2B business and your customers on LinkedIn. And guess what? Writing on LinkedIn is free. You can just write. And I know it's not as easy as I make it sound, but that's basically the gist of it. Maybe hire a consultant or a ghostwriter initially to help you find your craft and draft out the message that will resonate with your end audience. But that's growth marketing. That's how to get attention to your business, understanding your audiences on LinkedIn as a B2B founder without breaking the bank because all it requires is a little bit of time to write it or maybe getting some help. I think that's where I would start. I would think about where my audience is. If you think your audience is on TikTok, then consider doing some micro-influencer work on TikTok. Get the content creators that are really crafty with their products and having their audience the kind of persona that's likely to buy your product and work with them. A micro-influencer on TikTok doesn't break the bank, but it has the potential to go viral and drive a whole lot of traffic to your website. That's growth marketing at its finest. I couldn't agree more. And I always say, go fish where the fish are. Don't go fishing in a pond that has absolutely no fish just because you think this is a really good location. I also think there's a level of data that you need to consume to understand where your fish are (laughs) so that you know where to fish. So one, do you agree with that? And two, if you do, what data should I be looking at? So the data is very interesting because when you're just getting started, you don't have any of that data. And so you've always got a little bit of skin in the game to understand whether Facebook is that right channel for you or whether micro-influencer works. All of the answers that we just talked about in terms of where to start, you never really know what's going to work until you start spending a little bit of money. Now, the beauty is that we live in a world where digital tracking is just incredible. If you think about it, people were freaked out by iOS 14 that came out two years ago and that just ruined their data. But if you think of it, back in the old days, they used to throw newspaper ads and they had no clue it was working. Yes. So if you actually compare contrast, we still have a ridiculous amount of data at our disposal as growth marketers. And so you just have to leverage that data as best as you can. I understand it's not perfect anymore and you can't track down to the ad set and the ad, your ROAS. These were great days a couple of years ago. Yeah. But even without that level of granularity, it's still plenty of data to tell you which audience is working and on Google Analytics what segment of traffic is driving the highest conversion rate or the lowest bounce rate. We still have a ridiculous amount of data, more than we know what to do with, that allows you to make better decisions. Yeah, I think what I'm hearing you say is take a look at the numbers that you have and make assumptions that are backed by that data, right? Wouldn't it be easy 
if it was a one for one and we knew exactly where every dollar was going. But I feel like the truth of the matter is when it comes to marketing, there is a halo effect that you have to always have your eye on the prize on in order to really truly understand the value of all of the initiatives that you're running through. Now, as a follow-up to just the data, before we even started the podcast, you and I had talked about just the business background yeah. or maybe even the business acumen that you may need to bring into a job that is growth marketing. And that's taking a look at the financial statements and what to look at in those financial statements to really help you be very strategic in the initiatives that you want to implement. And I think that's oftentimes a piece that's missed when we're talking about marketing or even growth marketing. This is one of my favorite questions. I actually get asked that question a lot the school I went to business for from younger people are looking for career advice. And I always tell people, and this is going to sound controversial, but I think anyone's got the ability to become a really good growth marketer. There's no genes involved here. I can't become an NBA player. I don't have the physical ability to become an NBA player. No matter how much I train, I'll probably never have enough physical skills to become a top NBA player and be in the playoffs. In contrast, anyone can really become a growth marketer. Yeah. Right? It all comes down to how curious you are. I think curiosity is the number one set for marketers that's underrated. But if you go to any marketing conference and you look around you, growth marketers, we're a funny breed. We all look different. It's so diverse. It's old people, young people. It's really such an eclectic group of people that make up this growth marketing community. So to me, the way I think of it is anyone's got the potential to become a good growth marketer. I don't think there's a specific business background that makes you a great marketer. I've met former lawyers that are amazing growth marketers. Anyone I think has got the ability to do that as long as they're willing to become curious. Put it this way, I have a fancy business degree from USC. Does that make me stand out ever? No. My fancy business degree from USC never really helped me stand out from the crowd in any kind of growth marketing communities. What's helped me stand yeah. out from the crowd is talking about how I help a whole bunch of companies grow from zero to eight figures a year by doing Facebook ads or using really smart influence marketing campaigns. That's cool. That's what helps you really stand out. Not your degree, not where you were born, not where you went to school. So I think being curious and also really understanding human behavior is a big one. That's really what matters the most. One of the best growth marketers I've worked with, we hired her, Kiki, if you're listening to this, she was one of the best hires I've made back in my days at Mute6. She went to school for human psychology. So nothing to do with marketing in theory. She didn't study marketing like I did. She just studied human psychology and she was obsessed with how the brain worked. And she basically used that. She leveraged it into every single marketing campaign she created. And she was one of the best. And she used it in copy, creative, landing pages, about everywhere. And it just worked wonders. So I think being curious, being willing to learn on the fly is another big one. And then I think being a customer as well is probably the third one. Are you actually purchasing things online? If you want to be a good growth marketer, are you putting yourself into the shoes of the end consumer? So I'm talking about literally going through Instagram, clicking on ads, diving through the funnel just for the sheer purpose of understanding the funnels. Yeah. I literally have a monthly budget to buy things online just for research purpose. I will go through funnels just to see what the post-purchase looks like, just to see what the boxing experience look like, just to see if there's any kind of customer re-engagement afterwards. So being curious and using the channels that you're selling products on are going to be things that help you stand out. And then obviously being willing to 
be a self-learner and use all the resources we talked about earlier, including Twitter, LinkedIn, Slack communities, is going to really help you become a great growth marketer. But at the end of the day, there's no one size fits all. Everybody's got the ability of becoming a great marketer if they're willing to learn. I couldn't agree more with the curiosity. What went through my mind when you said it was curiosity killed the cat, but it definitely got the marketer the promotion. Because it's true. I think that's where experimentation comes into play. And there is so much experimenting that happens with marketing. So ironically, I actually think there's a lot of psychology and science when it comes to marketing, because you kind of have to balance out what your theory is and then let it go live and then come back and experiment, right? What's my control? What can I change for the next time? There are all of these things that go into it. So you kind of described when I asked you that question, more of these qualitative things that you as a person should have to be successful in growth marketing. I'm kind of wondering and this is probably not qualitative or quantitative, I should say, but it is a little bit. What should I actually know? Are there financial statements specifically? Should I be able to read a P&L in order to be effective with the growth marketing strategy that I'm trying to execute? Like, are there those types of financial statements that I should know? Well, there's a couple of things. I think the finance part is very interesting, but if you're asking more for a tangible skill in order to become a really effective market even today, I would say it's copywriting and creative. Copywriting and creative, it's really what's been in the standard of growth marketing for as long as you can remember. Have you ever seen Mad Men, the old TV show? Of course. Who hasn't? <laughs> so think about these guys, right? Think about Don Draper and all these guys. They were creatives and copywriters. They used to sit in the middle of the room and they would come up with concepts. They would write copy, they would come up with different concepts that were creative. Yeah. It's not much different from what we do these days. It's just that the medium is different. Now we, they used to use a newspaper and radio ads, and now we're using Facebook and Instagram. But at the end of the day, the psychology that was able to get people to buy stuff from them was just the emotion that those words and those visuals triggered for them. So if you're reading a piece of copy along with a visual that's emotionally appealing, and that taps into your emotion to drive an action from it. Yeah. That's how you get a sale. And that's really not different from anything we've got in these days. So I would say really creative and copywriting are going to be your best ally, whatever you do, whether you're in paid search, paid social, if you're an email marketer, yeah, word sale. That would be a quantitative one. And then the other one that you mentioned from a financial standpoint, I think that's where you go from, if you really understand the financial part of the business as a growth marketer, that's where you go from being a great marketer to being a unicorn or being an amazing growth marketer because the growth marketing side of things is really just the first side of the equation. It's how much traffic can I bring to my website that's qualified at the lowest cost possible? That's one part of the equation. I've acquired a customer. Now, what you really want to understand as a business owner that not every growth marketer essentially gets is what happens after that first purchase. Yeah. So great. We knew we could afford to spend $50 on any given marketing campaign to acquire one new customer. Yeah. Now, what you want to understand to become that unicorn as a growth marketer is what does that mean? What does that $50 CPA that I was given by a client mean? Why did my boss let me spend $50 average branded CPA per campaign? Yeah. Or why is the influence marketing campaign we're running can't cost us more than $50 purchase? That's the whole other part of the equation that you don't quite see as often as a growth marketer that you see more when you're on the operation side is, what does that number mean on a P&L, yeah. on a profit and loss statement? 
It's basically saying if I sell a product for 100 bucks and my cost of goods sold, which is how much it physically costs me to make a product, is 20 bucks, then I've got $80 of margins to play with. So in theory, I can spend up to $80 in marketing to acquire the customer to break even. Because at that point, I didn't make money, I'd lose money. And so if you can understand those numbers in the back end, that also helps you understand how you can help the business scale. Yeah. Maybe a lot of the brands can actually afford more than they think they can to acquire a customer. Maybe there's room in the margins that we can afford to spend a little bit more to be competition and acquire consumers that they couldn't. But on the flip side, it might be the other way around. We might not be able to afford as much money to acquire them on the short term, or we might just be able to break even. But if you understand the lifetime value, which means how frequently these customers come back over and over after they've purchased the first time from you, that's also how you can drive a profit, even while just breaking even on the first purchase. So all of those metrics, P&L, lifetime value of a consumer, cost per acquisition, and what it's made of, I think are some of the most important ones. Your average order value is also a big one. Yeah. It's all math. Everything's an equation. So if you can't get your return on ad spend quite in the right place because you're maxing out your cost per acquisition, then look at the other side of the equation. If you know you just have to spend that 50 bucks to acquire a customer and it's just too expensive for you, what can you do on the other side of the equation? Can you get them to spend more? Can you get them to spend more at checkout or overtime? Can you increase your conversion rate? So these are all the metrics that are super important and aren't necessarily just related to marketing. They're related to cost of operations and lifetime value. Yeah, I was just going to ask you too. I kind of think that customer lifetime value is that number that you would report to the board. So I imagine there are a lot of executives that are very focused on what is my customer lifetime value, but I've been in a lot of different marketing organizations and that's not something that I feel like is often talked about at the marketing level, right? I think it's more of like the executive conversation. So what are your thoughts on including the marketing team in those conversations to better understand the financials? Because I also think that that's why a lot of times people don't initially think, not people, but marketers don't initially think, oh, I should be thinking about the P&L. I'm just always asked about ROAS, right? That's what I'm asked for. What is my ROI? What's the ROAS of that? Not how does it feed into the customer lifetime value? And I think like to be a strong marketer, you kind of have to know what the puzzle pieces are so you know what the F you're building. Right. And a good example of that is a lot of marketers are going to be limited by that number they're being given. And so I think if marketing and operations and the board were to meet more often, I think some businesses would have much bigger growth. And then it comes down to cash flow, right? But if you can actually afford to spend more and acquire more customers today because you know your cash flow allows you to do that because you'll be recouping that money over time, especially if you're a supplement business. If you're a supplement business and you break even on the first purchase, that's okay because most supplement business are on a subscription basis. You don't just take it for a month. You take it over and over again. So that might be the best example of really understanding that lifetime value because if you're really focused on being profitable on your very first sale, your business is not going to grow. But if you understand that there's a lifetime value associated with every sale, then you might be able to afford a little bit more customers up front, pay a little bit more to acquire them on day one, because you understand that over time, your returns will flow right in. And most growth marketers aren't given that power. Oh, I couldn't agree more. Well, I feel like I've taken up a ton of your time and we've only just scratched the surface. So maybe I'm just going to have to have you come on again so that we can fully dive into a growth strategy, which I think would be really helpful for people. I do have one final question for you, though. 
If you knew then what you know now, what is the marketing advice that you give to yourself? I would say if I knew what I'd know now, that's actually an advice I've been giving around to people on my Slack community is biggest advice is really understand multi-channel marketing. We talked a lot about growth marketing today. I'm guilty as charged. I started as a Facebook advertiser. I absolutely mastered it. I went heavier into Instagram very quickly because that's what was hot when I started fresh out of college. But I wish that I learned Google ads before I had spent $15 million on paid social ads because that would have really helped me understand the relationship between the traffic that I was sending from Facebook and the Google ad retargeting back or or same thing with email, right? The difference between a campaign and automation and understanding that the Facebook traffic triggers automations that drive revenue. And so I wish that I really learned more about every channel fairly early as just becoming really like a weapon at one because that would have really helped me become a better growth marketer early on as opposed to a single channel marketer. And so if you're listening to this and you're in this position and you're an amazing paid social marketer or an amazing paid search marketer or even an email marketer, learn the other channels. You don't need to become an expert every single channel, but just learn them to become good enough that you can speak on them at meetings. I think that's what's going to make you really stand out. And if you're just starting in marketing or if you just want to know my best marketing advice, that's it. Become a well-rounded marketer. I think that's great advice. It's about connecting the dots between all of the strategies that fall under the marketing umbrella that truly make a strong marketer. Well, thank you so much for coming on here. I really appreciate you sharing your insights. And it's just always a good time talking to you. So thank you so much. Thank you. This was a lot of fun. I was so excited about this particular episode. One, because I just love talking to Alex. And two, because one of my besties is a growth marketer and she and I really dive into it all the time. So being able to unpack that with another professional was amazing. Now I've got your key takeaways. The first one, embrace curiosity and be adaptable. Really to succeed in growth marketing, curiosity and adaptability are essential Growth marketers must be willing to explore new channels, experiment with different strategies, and stay updated on this evolving landscape of marketing, especially with new platforms coming out all the time, right? Being curious about consumer behavior, trying out diverse platforms, and continuously learning from experiences can help marketers stand out in this dynamic field. Takeaway number two, prioritize copywriting and creativity. Creative and compelling copywriting remains a crucial skill in growth marketing. Crafting messages that resonate emotionally and visuals that engage the audience can drive conversions effectively. Whether that's through social media, email, or other channels, marketers who can really capture attention and trigger emotions through their content have a competitive edge. You want your audience to feel something, something positive. Okay, my friends. And the final takeaway, understand financial metrics and lifetime value. Now, while growth marketers focus on customer acquisition, understanding financial metrics is equally as important. And actually, that's important for growth marketing and any marketer, right? Delving into financial statements, calculating customer lifetime value, and grasping concepts like gross margins and return on ad spend contribute to making informed decisions. I feel like I say this continuously in different key takeaways, but it is making data-informed decisions. You have to know the numbers, whether you're a spreadsheet person or not. 
aligning marketing efforts with a deep understanding of the financial impact can lead to more effective strategies and better collaboration with the operations team. It may also even open up some budget for you. And as marketers, we're all looking for extra budget, aren't we? Now, I'm really curious, what were your key takeaways from this episode? Find me on LinkedIn, share them there, or leave them in a review on Apple Podcast. A special thank you to my podcast producers, the amazing team at Content Allies. Let me know if you want more information about them. I'm obsessed with them, so I love to share. Check out the episode page to learn a little bit more about Alex and how to get in touch with him. Thank you so much for spending your time with me today. Until next time, may the conversation flow, the laughter linger, and the outlook remain optimistic, but grounded in reality. This is Katya signing off.